the latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello and welcome to this week's 442 Insider podcast. I'm publisher Andy Jackson and joining me again after his week off last week is editor Trevor Chan. Hello. Trevor, talk us through it, mate. False alarm, last as week. it turned out. You know me, anything to get out of day of work. <laughs> Yeah, a bit of a false alarm, sitting around the hospital for a couple of days, then going home and Mrs. St- Trev- still being pregnant. Mrs. Trevor was yellow carded for blatant simulation. Yeah. Uh, but he's back, and we're very glad that he's back, because uh, we get the chance to pick the bones out of the Socceroos' fantastic win in Germany yesterday. Trev, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, great. I mean, our overall result is one that's going to... Uh be remembered but one of those results that will get more and more impressive as the years go on don't they and people will forget about the actual game it's a weakened team and only a friendly though isn't it oh, <laughs> oh there, we, there we go um yeah I mean I, I suppose on on that point about the Germany team and the, there were only four players um from the team that faced us in the first game of the World Cup so it, it was a largely different team but there's no doubt in the credentials of the players that they brought in I mean you know, all except one of them had played over 20 Bundesliga games. Yeah, I think it was like 350 caps on the pitch. Yeah, well. yeah, exactly. yeah. And and also, be, you know, I know it's just a friendly, but the people that, you know, Germany had brought in were hungry youngsters trying to earn a place in the team. You know, it, it was an important audition for a lot of those players out there. So, so I refuse to believe that, um, you know, especially Germany. But also, I don't, I don't actually think the Germans have a word for friendly. No, exactly. Yeah, they, whatever team is out on that pitch, they do not want to lose yeah. any I, game of football that any German team at any level mm. takes part in. I, so. I would arguably say that that's a more impressive result than going to Brazil and winning. Because I've seen Brazil win some friendlies and they genuinely don't care. But Germ- Germans have a mentality of, of wanting to win at every opportunity, especially on their own soil. You've only got to look at their World Cup qualifying records at home. And I, I don't know what the record is, but basically, they don't lose at home very often. I thought what was quite interesting about how the game panned out was what would have happened if Australia had scored first? Because, you know, say Holman got that volley in sort of in the first 20 minutes and then we had to sort of absorb 70 minutes and then the, the fact that we sort of got them on the hop a little bit in the first goal and then, you know, the penalty straight after and then there was only kind of like 25 minutes to survive was probably the reason we won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think it was a bit, you know, it was a bit of a smash and grab, wasn't it? The two goals in the, in two minutes or, yeah. one, or virtually one minute. I mean, let's let's talk about the tactics side of it and and you know, Pim's sort of capitulation at the World Cup compared with Holger's tactics yesterday. I mean, because I mean, let, let's be honest. I don't think any any Socceroos fan could sit here and say that's the best best they've ever seen the Socceroos play. Uh, we were it better wasn't. against Japan in the Asian Cup. Yeah, final. you know, well, arguably, we were so. probably better against South Korea mm. and certainly better against Uzbekistan. But you know, I don't think it was the most fluent performance. You know, we gave the ball away an awful lot, especially in the first half. Um, it got better in the second half, so it was it wasn't necessarily the best performance. But let, you know, tactically. Let's talk about the way Holger sent them out yesterday compared with Pim. I mean, what what did you detect has been the differences, Trev? Um, yeah, look, they did have more prolonged passages of sort of short passing football, didn't they, than what we got used to under Pim. That's not to say there weren't a few moments where we were a little bit more direct and there was some, you know, longer sort of passing stuff going on. Um, but there, there was a really nice spell sort of after we'd settled down the opening 15 minutes were a little bit edgy weren't we and you could tell that Germany were by far the better team but that second part of the first half and then you know kind of the start of the second half we settled down and seemed confident enough that we could sort of hold on to the ball for extended periods um, which I think was the difference and you have to go off to a better start I mean I think we went into the um, the World Cup game thinking um, either a point it would be amazing or just a slim loss would be okay. Um, you go into this friendly and you've not got as much to lose, have you, really? Because it's, yeah. it's just a friendly, it's just a run out, so you, you can play with a little bit more freedom. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought, you know, the main, the main difference for me, I, I guess, was in, was in the sort of psychology of it and the psychology that, that of the, the setup for starters. But then also, obviously, you know, I think Holger had a word with them at half time about showing the Germans a bit too much respect yeah. and, you know, sort of getting getting amongst them a bit more. But also, just the formation that he played compared with Pims in the World Cup suggests that he went he goes out there to ask the opposition questions, you know, and, and constantly pose a threat. Whereas I thought the team that we went out with at the World Cup, you know, was effectively, like you say, 
going out to get a, a draw at worst and, and concede as few goals as possible at best, you know, at, at mm. worst, you know. So, but also, I think I think it was a definite change. I felt the first half yesterday, I felt we did show a bit too much respect and there was a bit, you know, and, and you, you saw, I think for the first time, people like Matt Mackay a little bit overawed by things. Um, In the first half, I think, yeah. yeah but I think but he I, did settle. And I think it's come out since, you know, Hol- you know some of the players have said what Holger said at half-time was, you know, you, you showed them too much respect. You know, you were as good as them get out there and play and, and they did that and then in the second half we saw the whole team sort of growing confidence to the point that then we see you know Matt Mackay setting up the first goal with a you know with a neat little back heel that took a couple of players out of uh, out of play so um, I thought it was you know chalk and cheese compared with uh, you know with, with the game in, in Durban However, you know the other thing to remember is that Tim Cale did get sent off in the World yeah. Cup you know, it was so, 2-0 at the time wasn't it and that sort of yeah so having, a, having 11 men will always be a bonus <laughs> um any standout performance to a few or, or anyone that sort of didn't didn't really step up? Um, I thought Sasha played well at the back again. Got caught out once, didn't he? And, yeah, and managed to kind closer. Of, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, he, he seems really good sort of coming across and, and meeting the ball for a sort of strong tackle to slide out and stuff. So there's a lot of positives to say said about him. Yedniak. Who's, do you know who he's turned Divides into? opinion for I, me. I know, he, he reminds me of, and I was just talking about this this morning, that I hate the Star Wars films and everyone else in the world likes them. And he's <laughs> becoming a bit like my Star Wars films because, you know, I was seeing on Twitter that the German press were raving about him as well, but, you know, he can't seem to pass. Well, no, I'm with you. I mean, I, I, I've, <laughs> yeah. I've long been... Star Wars been or Yedinak? No, 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 I love Star Wars, but Yedinak, I'm sort of like... Um, yeah, I see the disruptive side of his game, absolutely. You know, he... he he gets involved, he muscles people out, he wins the ball, but all too often he gives it straight back to him again. Yeah. You know? So I just think, yeah, maybe he'll learn, you know, but I do think his distribution, you know, I, I don't think at international level you can just be a disruptor anymore. No. I think you need to be able to pass as well. I, I think he'd work quite well next to Matty, Matty McKay as long as Matty was close to him every yeah. time. Do you know what I mean? So he yeah. breaks down a play and then just you know, passes it on a few yards and then Matty can do the rest. Yeah, I thought Valeri had a really, I thought he had a good game, you know, yeah. quiet, you know, but yeah, compared with Yedinak, he's probably not as much of a disruptor, but he can pass the ball. So maybe yeah. the two of them, you know, is the answer in there in tandem. But that's what um, Holger certainly seemed to think, doesn't he, based on, you know, what he's done so far. Yeah, Carney again, looks great going forward, but still question marks over his, you know, against the the, the best quality going uh, in defence. Um, Matt Mackay again you know quite first half but second half didn't look out of place little set up for Carney as well wasn't it yeah. a little, little deft touch yeah. um, or, or you can see the sort of you know the Brisbane philosophy of moving the ball on really really quickly that it works at that level and Robbie Cruz came on didn't, again didn't look overawed came on at 2-1 no exactly good yeah. outlet well, let, let's talk two penalties one that yeah. was given one that wasn't Harry Kuehl's penalty no chance. For me, soft. No chance. <laughs> it was soft. No, I don't think it was a penalty. No, I think the defender need it away. Um, Harry, you know, who's a smart player and yeah. pretty decent at winning penalties, saw that the, he wasn't going to get to the ball and was in sort of a, a close situation to, to go down and, and won the penalty. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't say it was a penalty, but I'd say it's pretty smart of Harry to and win And at it. the other end, uh, closer. Uh, Yellow card did for die. Every, we were watching it. We I thought know. it was a penalty. Yeah. Um, Thought the ref had pointed to the spot at the start. I think everyone thought the ref had pointed to the spot. Started and a bit of drama, wasn't he? Because he blew the whistle and yeah. left it a few paces. He's, there was certainly contact with the foot, but unfortunately, you know, he needs to improve on he's going down in the box because it just didn't happen quick enough, did it? And it was it was a dive in the end, so no, I don't think that was a penalty either. Okay. Um, during the game, uh, Jurgi Love was uh, was getting a bit irate about some <laughs> of the Socceroos tackling. Um yeah, did he? Does he have a point? I mean, are we are we in danger of running out of friendly opponents because they're never friendlies with us? Well, I think he was upset at Luke Wilshire tackle. Has he never seen Luke tackle before? That's that's how he goes, isn't it? Well, well timed for Luke. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, he's not one to hold back. Yeah, I, I suppose you would look at it, and, and certain nations that you know the top nations are really protective of their star players. You'd think that it might not be that appealing to play Australia. But, you know, at the same time, you know you're going to get a tough test. You know if you play Australia in a friendly, they're going to have a go at you and not just, you know, roll over. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly follow, following on the back of a, a fantastic grand final, it was nice to see some positive football headlines, not not just across our press, but across the mainstream press yesterday uh, and around the world. I mean, I, I, I tweeted the LA Times. And 
Australia stun Germany. Yeah. In a in a soccer exhibition. Yeah. Can you believe that Cricket Australia went out of their way to appoint a new captain <laughs> just to take <laughs> just to take the just to take the glow off it? Shocking. Uh, well, it's, I mean, I guess from a supporter's perspective, and obviously I, I was there in Durban with the fans, and you know, this by no means will ever make up for the the desolation of that game and, and the aftermath. But certainly, it was nice to uh, to gain a bit of revenge and uh, put a smile on our faces for the day. You know, a lot of things hearing about is that people going on about respect, going, "Oh, we're now you know better respected." I don't really care how well we're respected. I actually quite prefer it if they're going to sort of underestimate us a little bit. You know, and people go, I've really proved a point. It's just about winning games. You know, it's not really about what, you know, people in pubs in Europe are saying about you. So I'm really not concerned with how well respected we are in Europe or anywhere else. Just let's just win games. And Holger, um, stature growing by the day. Yeah. Results like this are, you know, just couldn't be any better for a a relatively new coach still winning the fans, but also the players. Let's not remember that um, Pim had a very similar result, though. He beat the Netherlands in yeah. the Netherlands, so he beat his country, and, and then there was a lot of hype off, off the back of that. But yeah, yeah it's completely right, and, and this would have meant a lot to Holger. There's, there's no denying that. Um, but it was let- interesting. It was, it, Seb Hassett, I think, was talking about mm. the, the, the local reaction to Holger and the local perception of Holger was, yeah. was sort of very much that, that he was one of, sort of yesterday's men and he's not part of the new generation. And... Um, you know, and so I guess this would have been equally sweet for him to, to say, well, yeah, that might be what you think, but I've just got him beaten your new generation. No, he would have loved it. He would, there's no doubt he would have loved it. So, yeah, he's not quite got the, the low look, has he? With the scarf and the cardigan. And the, <laughs> I'd love to see Holger dressed like that. All right. Well, that's it. A fantastic win from the boys. And uh, hopefully that will uh, stir some interest uh, for the friendlies coming up in June and and get decent crowds. Still to be officially announced where and who they will be. But um, we've talked about the rooms of Chile and games in Adelaide. um, So we'll see. And Serbia, I think, was one of the teams we talked about. So uh, they should be announced pretty soon to give them time to to get selling the tickets. But hopefully a, a win like that can only help in terms of the crowds that will get to those games. So that's it for part one we will be back in part two to look at the local news that's been making headlines on our website au.442.com the new issue of 442 is now on sale and it's a master and apprentice special with worldwide exclusive interviews with messi and maradona and look at whether messi can be called the greatest ever yet we also catch up with local heroes matt mckay and patricio perez and look back on the socceroos asian cup campaign in pictures we take you to london for the inside story of aussie and kiwi hopefuls taking part in nike's the chance initiative and take a look at whether tactics are overrated in football plus the regular planet football and performance performance section with additional video and photo features in the iPad edition. On sale now at all good news agents or the App Store. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello, welcome back to this week's 442 Insider podcast. We're going to look at some of the main local news that's been making headlines on our website, au.442.com. And uh, overnight, Trev, yesterday afternoon, the draws were made for the next raft of AFC uh, tournaments and qualifiers. Uh, the Oliroos were drawn against Yemen in the second round of the Asian qualifiers. So that'll be home and away dates. Uh, yet to be announced, although it, it's scheduled to play on the 19th and 23rd of June. Do we know where? In... Uh, no, not, not yet. yet. Okay. No. So home leg is first. I mean, that's a pretty quick uh, turnaround, four days. Um, you know, so that's only what? Two yeah. days in between to get there and, and get back. So that'd be tough on both teams. Um, could have been worse, too, when you look at some of the other matchups with uh, Iraq match with, with uh, Iran, Japan meeting Kuwait, North Korea versus UAE, Korea Republic playing Germ- uh, Jordan, and China up against Oman. So how this works is uh, Asia have got three and a half slots for the 2012 Olympics. Um, 12 winners from round two will be divided into three groups of four. Uh, home and away format from September this year to March 2012 determine the winners of the three groups will represent the continent and the three second place teams from the third round will clash in a playoff at a centralised venue from March 25th to the 29th 2012. The winner of this group will meet the representative of the African Confederation for Birth of the Olympics. So yes. plenty of football still to come. Yeah, exactly. This is the generation that 
we understand that the FFA, FFA are a little concerned about, aren't they? This the current under 20, yeah, like but, 21, 22 year olds. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you get the impression they're a little bit concerned about you know this qualification. Um, you got to be pleased with Yemen, but I suppose what's tricky about it is you never really want to play at home first. I suppose I'm thinking about the Socceroos Uruguay games in the past where you know how important the first one is because you know you've got to get straight in the playing, go to, you know, stranger conditions and then try and hold out for a result there. So I'm sure we'll still be fine. It's just I would have raved it the other way around. Yeah, and it would have helped getting a bigger crowd in support, I think, if, you know, the second leg was at home. Second leg was at home. Yeah. Um I think we'll see. I mean, you sort of get the impression as well because of what you said to about the sort of that you know doubts over the twenty-one, twenty-two-year-olds that we might see some of the the under under nineteens and under twenties fast tracked to this team during Possibly. this qualifying process. The likes of Amini, people like that. Yeah, I mean, Tommy or if they can get him back, depending on how much football he's likely to play in the Netherlands. Yeah, guys like that are, are pretty likely. Okay, there were a couple of other draws uh, for the, the young Socceroos, the under-19. Um, they were gr- drawn in Group G, and they will face China, Indonesia, Singapore, and Macau. Um, and that's for the AFC under-19 championships. And the under-16s, the Joeys, uh, again, have been drawn in Group G, uh, and they have been drawn against Indonesia, Thailand, Hong Kong, Myanmar, and Guam. Yep. Sounds all right. Um, I'll be honest. My knowledge of the Guam under sixteen team is a little bit limited, <laughs> but I don't. Good <laughs> <Great> morning. <laughs> but, but yeah, that that sounds okay to me. All right, rectify that by next week, Trev. Please, we'll uh, a whole report. We'll be doing, a, we'll be doing a, a team by team analysis of that next week. So we'll be testing Trev on his knowledge of the Guam under sixteens. A League news: Melbourne victory was showing off the new uh, capture. Giancarlo Solazano uh, to the press in his uh, Melbourne Victory polo shirt because obviously they've not announced it, they've not released the new kit yet. Um, 23-year-old marksman got 11 goals in his first season with Brisbane Raw. Um, joins Victory on a one-year loan deal from uh, his club. Might I won't try and pronounce it. LD Alachwalenzi. No, there you go. So Trey, what do we think about this? Yeah, they had to replace Cruz and they had to do it as quickly as possible. And a, a Different li- sort of player to Cruz, though, isn't he? Yeah, I, yeah. He's always struck me just as, as a real sort of sniffer, poacher. Yeah, I mean, him and Archie up front would be interesting. Yeah. And they, how much Archie can contribute next year when he's, he's fully fit. Um, but yeah, it was quite important. I suppose it's a little bit like when um, Adelaide signed Van Dyke. They kind of knew what they were getting in terms of, of A-League quality and it's the same here. Okay. Um, well, obviously, uh, he's joining up with the other Melbourne-based Costa Ricans, uh, Carlos Hernandez and uh, Marvin Angulo. Um, interesting decision, though, Trev, do you not think that, that they're signing players without a coach? Yeah, that, I, that always strikes me as slightly strange, but you know how much you know operation managers and football directors like to get involved. And I suppose if the opportunity to get him sprung up um, and it could have been something that Merrick set up, couldn't it? Yeah. You know, he could have been sniffing around him, you know, way but before. But even still, you'd probably say, oh, should we hang on till the new coach comes in? Yeah. He might have. I, I suppose it's a relatively low risk on the fact that he, he's done well in the A-League before. It's not like they've, they've gone and spent money on some, you know, random South American that's not proven and could end up being yeah. another dud. And they've had a few dud South Americans at uh, victory as well. Okay. Um on Ernie Merrick, I mean, the, the, the hot tip is that he, he's going to end up at Perth next season. So that rumoured on a number of sources. So yeah. uh, And that was supposed to be quite imminent, but um, not heard anything yet this week. So Is Fergie going to be assistant for some sort of double header of moody Scottishmen to see if they can t- turn them around? Who knows? Who knows? I could do well. I, I, feel, yeah. I feel a little bit sor- sorry for Ernie, to be honest with you, and I hope he goes, goes to Perth and does well. Well, yeah, he's certainly, you know, like you say, I mean, he's, he's had a, you know, the best record of any mm. A League coach. You know, they uh, they made the finals last year. Yeah. You know, so we'll see. Um, still in Melbourne, Melbourne Heart co-owner, outspoken Melbourne Heart co-owner Joe Mirabella has been ousted from the club after a couple of uh, couple of outbursts. One one to ourselves, um, to Aiden, where he was talking about. You know, like the, he was pretty forthcoming on his of uh, not being particularly impressed with John Vance Skip and what he's delivered for the money that they're spending on him. 
um, thought he could have got better with local coaches. This has proved too much for the other uh, the other sort of board members. Uh, so they bought him out. So he's gone. Uh, Peter Sidwell has led that. Um, so he's gone. Uh, I noticed that in the Age this morning, Michael Lynch saying that um, they're close already to replacing his sort of shareholding, which I think was worth about fifty percent, was five hundred and fifty grand. No, I think it was like twenty percent. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. Um, so they're they're close to uh, to, to basically uh, filling his position. He said that he will remain supportive of both clubs. He's also a sponsor. And also, um, he's a sponsor of both A-League teams, um, but also a sponsor of the Mirabella Cup, yep. which is the, the cup competition down there. Think um, of what we can get him to say now. You know, now, he's not, now he's not even on a position, he'll be saying all sorts. Uh, Robert Pires, current Villa player. Very old, immobile, current Villa player. Um, <laughs> 37, uh, he's with Villa till the end of the season. He was on a short-term deal. Uh, and in an interview with FIFA said that he's um, he's had offers from Qatar, the US and also Australia so that's set the uh, the way he said it. and even and even not, Australia and even Australia heard of them uh, uh, I mean having seen him play for Villa you know he's not quick I don't think he ever was that quick but but he no. certainly still has the ability he's fit if not quick yeah um, you know and Villa have tended to use him in games where like for instance at home to Blackburn when they knew that Blackburn were going to come and put 10 men behind the ball yeah. and we needed someone to put their foot on it and just be a bit patient and wait for that pass. Um, and and yeah, he's done well. Uh, so I'd certainly think that he would, uh, he'd be, a, he'd be an addition to any A-League team. Um, it's, a sh- it's a shame Muscat is not going to get his chance to, to get Perez because there was the, the Australia France game, wasn't it? The Muscat kind of had it in a little, had it in for Perez a little bit. Yeah. Cause the, a previous tackle he'd done on Popovich. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it'd be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, everyone's been speculating which club made the offer. Um, was it Gold Coast that? Had pretend- I, I hope they signed moved. someone for Gold Coast. As soon as they've just lost all of their good players. Yeah, uh, they're only going to be offering him a one-year deal, aren't they? After the uh, the news last week. Yeah, that always, um, that always works well. Yeah. So AFC uh, also released a report this week um, that's ranked the A League in the bottom four of the eleven major leagues in Asia. Uh, and rated the competition the overall worst in several categories, um, which is a bit of a concern. <laughs> J-League was a clear winner in the overall rankings ahead of Korea, Republic, Saudi Arabia and Qatar. The A-League was in eighth place, one spot behind the UAE League in seventh, China in sixth and Iran in fifth. Mm. What do you make of this? Yeah, I had I mean, the, the full reports I'm, are available to download if you want to read on the site, on this story. So if you want to actually read... The full reports you can, but we'll just give you the top line heads up here. So, Trev, what I, did I did read the report actually. It's not it's not actually that long in terms of what they released. If someone wanted to to go and have a look at it, I suppose the most interesting couple of things that I found in there first of all was how well we did full marks for marketing of the game over here, which is one of the biggest criticisms. So, I'm not sure if we should take the whole report with a pinch of salt when you look at that. And second of all, one of the biggest criteria they have in there for sort of doing well is um, length of season, where they sort of request a season that's eight months long. Yeah. Um, we've just lost a team, um, so that, uh, that's not going to be the case for us. Um, so I think it's quite important, if you want to do better in this report, to sort of add more sides and, and get yourself up a little bit more. In, in terms of doing well technically, they also take into account national team. Right, so I, okay. I, I, th- I think that... You know, Soccer like, will have dragged us up. Yeah, like the, that FIFA ranking and stuff brings you up and if you look at the other Asian teams that are in there. So I reckon that it was probably the Socceroos that dragged us up on, on that front as well. Okay. I mean, in, uh, we rank bottom in the categories of organisation, governance and soundness, number of clubs in the top division and duration of the season. Soundness. Bottom for soundness. It's never good, is it? All right, well, that's it for uh, part two. That's the headlines, local news. We'll be back in part three to uh, cast our eye further afield, looking at some of the main international stories, uh, but also a roundup of the Euro 2012 qualifiers that happened uh, last weekend and midweek. So join us after the break. Visit Football Emporium on www.footballemporium.biz to see the largest selection of football merchandise and memorabilia in Australia. A real football shopping experience. Or why not pop in and visit them directly at 139 Victoria Road, Dremoyne. Or simply call them on 1300 Goals to find out what's new in the football world. Back 
to 442 Insider. Hello, welcome back to part three of this week's 442 Insider podcast. We're going to head overseas now. Uh, Trev, there was a, a lot of games over the weekend and, and midweek uh, in the Euro 2012 uh, and friendlies. Uh, obviously, we, we've, we've covered the Socceroos versus Germany. Fabio Capello's England played two games. Uh, they beat Wales comfortably at the weekend in the game that mattered, the, the, the competitive game, and then drew one all with Ghana uh, yesterday um, with a, a severely weakened team. They sent a lot of players back. Players that were involved in the uh, in the Premier in the Champions League. Now it seems to me, you know, Capello's made an awful lot of mistakes. Let's be mm. honest, but it does seem to me now that there is a, a dedicated witch hunt, yeah, from sections of the press, for, in that yeah, absolutely everything he does now is wrong. Yeah. So, for instance, you know what a lot of people might term a meaningless friendly against Ghana. He would get slated if he put a full strength team out, you yeah. know, and, and a player got injured. So he sends some of the big names home, gets slated for shortchanging the public. Yeah, you know, gets slated for sending the Champions League players home, but not people like Scott Parker. Yeah. So yeah, you know, a Man United play West Ham at the weekend. After the World Cup, he gets slated because you know he's sticking with the old faces. They need to regenerate. He brings through those young faces to play against Ghana and get slated for sending the old boys home. <laughs> Can he win? Well, it is the worst job in football, isn't it, England manager? Because you're given a set of players that are probably sort of quarter-finalists in the World Cup, if they're lucky enough, semi-finalists. You get given the world's most bullish media and the world's most demanding fans, and then you get asked to win. So it's not a great, it's not a great job. And it pretty much happens to every single England manager that, you know, if they get results at first and they sort of get praised. And now Capello's going to the standard getting slated by the English press stage that you see every single time. So, no, it, you know, it's completely expected and it's going to be a lot of hard work to sort of turn it around. It's quite difficult to sort of turn it around in qualifying campaigns, especially when you've got a group like England have got that you expect them to swat aside. Um, unless they're winning every game convincingly, which rarely happens in qualifying. Um, then he's not going to be able to build up that reputation again. And then he's got to go to, to the Euros and face, you know, a really, I mean, there's three teams that are head and shoulders above England in Germany, Netherlands and Spain. England are nowhere near those three. And if they come up against any of those three, they will lose. There, there you, you have it. <laughs> Categorical. <laughs> well, so what you've been working on a story this morning that's mm. going to go up, and this has been kicking around predominantly in, in the social media, in the Twitter sphere. Uh, rather than in the mainstream press. And this is all to do with um, the, the nominations for the FIFA presidential elections. Now, we, we heard last week that, that Mohammed bin Imam is going to stand. Um, yeah, and I think we've said at the time that it's, is it the lesser of two evils, mm. bin Imam or someone else from the current executive committee, um, you know, or Blatter, sorry, or, or bin Hammam. Um, there, there has been a, a candidate uh, voiced, in, in Elias Figueroa, who's a you know, celebrated South, South American player, um, who's worked significantly in the media following, who, who expressed a willingness to stand. Um, but in order to do that, he needed to get a nomination from one of the 200-odd FIFA member nations. And Trevor, it seems that he's been unable to do that. Yes, yeah, that, that's not been the case. It was a sort of a little bit too tight for time in the end in, in terms of him, you know, preparing what he needs to do. But I think the bottom line is he didn't get a nomination from, you know, one of the FAs. Um, the main sort of body that's been behind all of this is the Change FIFA organisation, um, who sort of, you know, got a bit of publicity going behind Figaro taking the role. And they've approached various FAs around the world and, and two that they chiefly targeted were England and Australia. For because obvious reasons, the two that were yeah. most put out by the uh, yeah. by the World Cup bidding process. Yeah. Exactly, England haven't been willing to put someone forward or even nominate someone else, which seems strange because I, I just don't know what, why they wouldn't. I can't see what they've got to lose really. Um, but in terms of Australia, uh, apparently Frank Lowy's turned around and said, "Well, you know, if we're going to nominate someone, we'll probably nominate an Australian, you know, or himself, if you like." And also. It, it would be it would be a pretty tough call to make to nominate an Australian or nominate Lowe himself when the president of the Asian Confederation is already one of the candidates. So I don't I think our hands were tied a little bit. I don't think there was a lot that we could do. I suppose it's it's more disappointing that you know no one else around the world wants to make a change. 
Well, it just seems, you know, it just seems like, you know, if everyone's crying foul after the World Cup bidding process mm. and FIFA stinks and everything's rotten, but then nobody's willing to put their head above the, the parapet and do anything about it, you know, because they're scared of the repercussions, you know. So, I mean, it just seems like a bit of a sad state of affairs, really. Yeah, I think a few people wanted Platini, but I think the idea is that Platini is supporting Blatter but I get, for this yeah, time, and then I mean, Platini's the coming that, in next yeah, time. This is it. And, and maybe this is already known in Europe, you know, which is why the English FA are, are not willing to to rock the boat either, because it, it seems to me that you know the the preferred route is Blatter gets another term and Platini steps down in 2015, and Platini takes over, yeah, you know, and the the football fraternity get their former, you know, decorated player in charge of FIFA. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, sometimes you you just sort of wonder. But what surprised me, you know, is why one of the why potentially a smaller nation hasn't just gone. Well, we've got enough to lose anyway. Yeah, <laughs> like, American Samoa. What about a South American nation? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you that that's what's so strange is that anyone can nominate, and there's so many FAs around the world, and everyone's kept quiet. It's another it's another one of those bizarre FIFA things that make you suspicious, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Trey, you've been working on a story. It's going to go up. On this today, he's actually announced that he's withdrawing his. Figaro, uh, yeah, yeah he, he he released a, a statement today saying that, um, presumably because he knew that he couldn't get any support uh, or get the nomination he needed. Um, so again, another opportunity slips by, and uh, we will be faced with either Set Blatter or Mohammed bin Amam as FIFA president until 2015. Mm. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> Who said that? Anyway. Uh, one story that got a lot of press uh, over the weekend in, in the UK was, well, globally, was the incident with the Scotland national team playing against Brazil. And this game took place at the Emirates as part of the Brazil World Tour. Um, it's like a Harlem Globetrot, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, the money-making tour. Yeah. Uh, now, there's a, a big crowd. I think it was 53,000 were there. Um, and Neymar... Uh, claim that he was racially abused including having a, a banana thrown at him now you know the the, the tartan army have uh, obviously came out and, and denied this vehemently um i heard a couple of interviews with with uh, the, one of the main organizers who said that they were booing him but they were booing him because he feigned injury yeah, yeah exactly which um, happens all the time with players yeah uh, and and the banana was coincidental to this now it's actually turned out that a german teenager has come and owned up and said that uh, that it was me, it was him that threw the banana, and it, it it absolutely wasn't racially motivated. So this is sort of you know proven that it wasn't the Scottish fans, and mm. and I think you know this is a this is a case. We, you know we do need to be careful of putting two and two together and getting ten. Yeah, you know because uh, certainly the the reaction to this was was huge, and um, it's you know the original that story's gone all around the world. Um, and certainly, you know, it's unfair to, to tag the, the Scottish fans with something that they clearly haven't done in this instance. No, they definitely haven't. No, it's, like you say, it's really, really not fair. All right, that's glad that we cleared that up. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's let's look at Euro 2012 and qualifying and, and where things stand. Um, basically, the situation is we are, you know, some of the, uh, about halfway through or into the second half, just entering the second half of games, uh, the situation is that hosts Poland and the Ukraine qualify automatically. Uh, there are nine qualifying groups and the group winners automatically qualify. Um, the second place team with the highest number of points from matches against the first, third, fourth and fifth place teams also qualifies. So there are 10 automatic qualifiers. Yep. Uh, and then the remaining eight play off in two-legged playoffs. Clear? Right. Yes. Completely <laughs> oh, clear. Let's have a look at uh, at the groups. Currently, Group A top is Germany, clearly top by five points. Belgium second with ten points. Group B top is Slovakia, uh, Russia, and Republic of Ireland. That's probably the most interesting. Yeah, group, really, all on all of... on ten points. Um, so that that could be very interesting. They've got uh, they're only halfway through qualifying there. Uh, group C Italy uh, clearly ahead, five points clear with the game in hand. Uh, over Slovenia and Serbia in second. Um, France, putting a horror World Cup behind them uh, with new coach Laurent Blanc, uh, clearly top by four points in uh, in the, their group 
Second are Belarus and Albania. Uh, Holland. The Netherlands. Pretty much there already. Played 6 1 6. Um, I imagine maybe one more win might, might would secure them qualification. They, they did this for the World Cup as yeah, well. Yeah, won every game. Yeah. Uh, Sweden and Hungary are second. First got Greece, uh, our top of their group, Group F, uh, with 11 points from five games. Croatia and Israel are second on 10 points. Georgia fourth on nine points. So that's a very tight group as well. Uh, England's group, Group G, England and Montenegro are top on uh, four, only five teams in this group, so only eight, eight games to play. So halfway through, England and Montenegro equal top on 10 points. Switzerland and Bulgaria back on four. Wales, pitiful effort, no points from four games. Um, group H, Norway played four games, again in a five-team group, played four games, 10 points. Portugal and Denmark, seven points. So it could be a, a big-name casualty there, yep. both World Cup qualifiers. And uh, finally, Spain are clearly top, six points clear after five games uh, with three games to play. So they're, they're pretty much there. Czech Republic, Second on nine points, Scotland on four points. As you would expect, really, isn't it? And yeah, I mean, there's no... Most of them. You'd probably say, I mean, it's not dissimilar to the World Cup where Portugal were the, the, the big the big gun that was struggling to make it. You'd probably say that that's pretty much the same. Mm. Um, there's no real sort of big guns there that, that are in trouble yet. They're all still pretty much odds on to qualify. Mm-hmm. So, again, it looks like the Euros will be... A very very strong competition yeah i mean especially you know we know how well you know spain and the netherlands are going um and it looks like france are, are going to be have a different attitude and be well back in it and i think italy are a little bit more relaunched as well um and there england will be there yeah it's so. interesting to see aquilani yep featuring heavily for for the italians and yeah you know after having a, a horror sort of first year at liverpool he yeah. seems to have got his fitness back and he's still a liverpool player isn't he he's yeah back, so. yeah and obviously germany as well with yeah. their sort of rising young team so yeah i'm really looking forward to yours yeah well they'll be taking place in poland and the ukraine uh next next winter at on summer obviously in, in europe so that's all for part three we'll be back in part four where we will be previewing this weekend's Premier League and next week's Champions League quarterfinal first legs. The new issue of 442 is now on sale and it's a master and apprentice special with worldwide exclusive interviews with Messi and Maradona and look at whether Messi could be called the greatest ever yet. We also catch up with local heroes Matt Mackay and Patricio Perez and look back on the Socceroos Asian Cup campaign in pictures. We take you to London for the inside story of Aussie and Kiwi hopefuls taking part in Nike's The Chance Initiative and take a look at whether tactics are overrated in football plus the regular Planet Football and Performance section with additional video and photo features in the iPad edition. On sale now at all good news agents or the App Store. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello, welcome back to the final part of this week's 442 Insider podcast. Trev, we are going to look at Premier League. Yes. Obviously had a weekend break last weekend for the FIFA dates. Back in action this weekend. Your boys. <laughs> yeah. Home to Man United. Old man has just arrived from England. He's a Man U fan, so that'll be some awkward watching at the weekend. Um, yeah, that's a big game. And I'm ten forty-five tr- kickoff as well now, isn't exactly, it? Exactly. Yeah, I'll be asleep by then. Watch it in the morning, but um, well, yeah. <laughs> you might be a dad by then. Yeah, exactly. You might be beat up. Might I be up at like three in the morning. I will be furious if it goes into labour or that. If I if I miss West Ham Man U, you just say you're going to record it and watch it the next day. I could do it. Uh, I'd rather watch it live though. So much better, isn't it? Um, I'm, trust me, I'm, I'm not the most optimistic of West Ham fans normally, um, but I think that could be quite a close game. I think West Ham are playing as well as I've seen them play in a couple of years, and uh, a man you obviously you know doing well enough to be top of the table. But I think they that they won't fancy coming to West Ham. Basically, you know. Yeah. Um, I still think Manu memories will, of the Carling Cup was it? Three one four nil. Yeah. Um, I, I, I still imagine that Manu will probably edge us out um, but yeah that, that could be a cracking game if you're still awake well I mean just a reminder of, of how things are sitting in the Premier League uh, obviously at the top Man United are, are five points clear they've played a game more than Arsenal and Chelsea uh, Arsenal on 58 points Man United 63 points so they're if, if Arsenal can win their game in hand they're still two points behind Man United so it's Man United to lose 
Um, Chelsea on 54 points, Man City 53, Tottenham 49. But it's the bottom half that is of, of really of most interest where we have six points, two wins, separating the whole bottom half of the division. Uh, from Newcastle in 11th on 36 points down to Wigan bottom on 30 points. So, you, so no one's gone. Do you know what I mean? None, yeah, no one's none. out of it yet, which normally they are at this stage of the season. Mm. Uh, so we had Portsmouth that were docked points last year and were gone by this point. So, And your boys have just slipped, got out of the, tran- uh, the uh, relegation. For, for the minute, yeah, we, we have got some. We've got a pretty tough run in, to be fair. Um, starting with Manu, so I, I still think we're a reasonable bet from the drop from there. But we'll have to see. We're going to have to shock a few teams, I think, to stay up. Well, what this means is is that bottom half being so tight means that the, there are six pointers everywhere, every week. So let's run through the fixtures. We've talked about West Ham, Man United, uh, Birmingham, Bolton. Bolton having a great season under Owen Coyle. Owen Hope Coyle it continues. certainly. Um, you know, furthering his credentials as a, as a sort of young manager, now being touted with potentially bigger jobs. Um, Birmingham, always tough to beat at home. Yep. Uh, how do you see that one going, Chum? I think Birmingham will get something out of it. I can see it being a draw. I suppose the advantage that, that Birmingham have got is that they've still got a game in hand. They're the, the only team down the bottom there to play 29 rather than 30. Mm. Um, they've not really kicked, they didn't really kick on from that League Cup win, though, no, did they? No, if anything, they've, they've gone the other way. They're, they're now... Yeah, they're now second bottom on 31 points. So. Yeah, because they, they won at West Ham a few weeks back and that looks like that got them out of the relegation zone. They had a couple of games in hand and that looked like they, they were away, but they're back in the thick of it at 19th. We have Everton Villa. Um, <laughs> Look, know, looking forward to that? Not at all. I mean, Everton, <laughs> you'd probably say are safe. They've got the what you call the magical 40 points that traditionally is required to, to stay up. Um, Villa, on the other hand, are... In 14th, but that's a pretty much a bit of a false position because uh, they're only a point above the relegation zone. So, so defeat at Everton, which you know, very likely, um, could leave Villa in the relegation zone by the end by Sunday. Yeah, um, and, you... and then the question is, does you know, does that then turn up the heat even more on Julia and and will Lerner continue to back him or will he? Yeah. Get him? Well. I think you have to stick with them now. You know, there's eight games remaining, isn't there? And then look at it again at the end of the season. But, I mean, it's it's so outrageous. It's, I mean, a, a win for Wigan who are rock bottom and they're, they're level on points with her. Well, the, fr- the frustrating thing for Villa fans is to see England line up at Wembley playing 4-3-3 with a front three of Stuart Downing, Darren Bent and Ashley Young. Yeah. And they want, how can we be where we are in the league when we, we're supplying the front three for England. Yeah. You know, uh, and it, it, it's ridiculous. However, I would say that the Wales game was a, was a sort of microcosm of Villa's season in that for all the, the industry and, and ability of Young and Bent, um, you've got the comedy defending of James Collins at the other end. Yeah, yeah. That was... <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just think, to be honest, I think Villa's only hope is, I think they've got to accept that they are going to concede goals. I just think we have to go for it at the other end. I think Julio has, has to bite the bullet and and get stop with this uh, experiment of playing Ashley Young just behind the striker. He's got to play him out on the wing um, and play two wide men, you know, and put put Bent up front of his own and just get supply into him. And let's just outscore him because otherwise I've got a really horrible feeling this year. Uh, Newcastle Wolves, uh, Wolves, yeah, of. Been very unlucky this season. Their, their performances have not yeah, some, really. Some really good sides have played well, haven't they? Yeah, you know they're beating the likes of Man United. Newcastle have been having a bit of a wobble at late. Of yeah, late, they're, they're not out of it. No, certainly not out of it. They're probably the team that you'd say are on that cusp. So a win would probably, you'd probably say, would take them clear of it. But a defeat would pull them right back in. Stoke Chelsea, tough place to go at the best of times. Stoke. Yeah, doing well this season, aren't they? You know, in, in the cup and and in the league. Um, coming off the back of a 4-0 win over Newcastle. So, yeah, I, I think that's a, a potential shock there. I, I don't think Chelsea are going to get back in this title race. They're going to have to win every single one of their games, Chelsea, including going to Old Trafford and winning. Yeah, West Brom, Liverpool, uh, Andy Carroll approaching sort of full fitness, scored for England, first goal for England, so he'll be full of confidence. Liverpool in sixth now, 45 points, obviously they're safe. Europe's going to be a push, but um, but you know it, it, from where they started the season under Hodgson, 
Um, it, it looks like being a, a comfortable sort of, you know, top 10 finish for Liverpool. Yep. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a cracking result. I mean, they were, they were definitely in the relegation scrap earlier. Now, Wigan Spurs, um, in the context of what we're going to talk about, uh, you know, Spurs will can't fail to have one eye on Real Madrid. Yeah. On Tuesday a trip night. to Real Madrid. And as they've well, got to go to Wigan, who are bottom, fighting for their lives. Home win. <sighs> I mean, that, that's Tottenham's charge in the league, I think, all but over. Well, Tottenham's, Tottenham have had trouble backing up from Champions League games. It's a problem even the best um, teams haven't. And, and that's, you know, when, when they weren't playing in a quarter-final against Real Madrid. Hmm. So I, I, I can see them for, not, you know, not forfeiting, but accepting that they might drop points here. Yeah, for the bigger picture of winning on. I hope know. not. I wouldn't mind for for, for <laughs> once. I wouldn't mind seeing a nice strong Tottenham win there. Yeah, right. Arsenal Blackburn. Uh, yeah, Arsenal have got to start winning games like this comfortably, otherwise their their season's over. You, you you think one more defeat, or or even a draw to to one of the lower teams, and, and they're really out of it. Yeah, they're still in a situation where if they win every game, they win the title. <laughs> you just give me not. a look. Well, they are because they've got to play Man U. Uh, yeah, OK. Yeah, so if they, yeah, if they win yeah, all their right, games, and include that Man Yeah, yeah, take that. However, however, I don't think that's going to yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, Fulham Blackpool. Yes. Dogfight. <laughs> it's going to be beautiful. Fulham on 35 points. Blackpool on 33 points. Blackpool desperate to stay in the Premier League. Um, Fulham under Mark Hughes. You know, again, you'd probably say a win takes them out of it. Defeat, defeat pulls yeah. them right back in Man City Sunderland yeah it's the other Sunday game Sunderland will have a go won't they that won't be um, I mean this is a sort of big one in context of that top four because if if Tottenham can't go to Wigan and win and, and City you know win at Sunderland and that sort of takes them what four seven points away then they should be all but secured the top four Man City which is the very least they should be doing with that squad yeah absolutely uh, alright well that's the Premier League uh it's going to be a, a phenomenal last sort of five or six weeks as, as this unfolds. Uh, Tuesday, we talked about Champions League. Tuesday sees uh, Inter Milan play host to Schalke and Real Madrid host Tottenham in the first uh, legs. Wednesday sees Barcelona take on Shakhtar the next at the Camp Nou and Chelsea Man United. I love Stanford that. Bridge. I love that draw. I think that's such a good draw because, you, you know, if things play to kind, then you've ended up with sort of, you know, Inter, Real Madrid, Barcelona, uh, probably Man U is the last four. I mean, that's perfect. You know, that's that's the whole of the two big Spanish teams. And, and the is, best, that, is that going to be what you think is going to happen? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think so. And also from this round, you get Real Madrid, Tottenham. And, you know, I've been enjoying watching Tottenham in Europe this season because, you know, they, they have shown a little bit more defensive resilience. You know, they're, they're OK marking out AC Milan for two legs. Um send them to Blackpool and they'll let in three goals. But, you know, they've really shown that they can adapt their game to Europe well. Do I think it'll play to kind of... Uh, I think Chelsea Manu is obviously the most evenly matched out of all of yeah. them. Um, I don't think Barcelona will have a lot of problem providing they have a good home leg. They're not so great away from home, though, are they, Barcelona? No. The Champions League, bit of a misconception about them. I mean, Inter, you'd probably say, are coming into form at the right time. You know, yeah. they're, they're challenging... Uh, for the Serie A now, and it looked like under Benitez they, they, they were never going to be back up there but they are um, and probably you'd say in the box seat and favourites yep. um, what what the Spurs you know if you're Harry how do you approach Real Madrid away Mourinho Bernabeu yeah it, it's tough to say isn't it in terms of you do you know, go there and try and sort of I think you have try to. and not concede or do you go there and try and get an away goal And I think you have to go there and try and get a goal because that's how they've been playing all year yeah. you know to all of a sudden turn around and go right okay now we've got Real Madrid you've got to play differently they know they're going to concede even though they didn't against AC Milan I think it's fair to say against Real Madrid they're going to concede so yeah I'd, I'd go uh, there and try and even if you get a 2-1 loss yeah, something yeah, like that's yeah. a good result well it looks like Ronaldo he's going to be fit yeah I think those, it looks um, like it I mean, certainly Spurs have got a player in their midst who's got a massive point to prove to Real Madrid which is Van der Vaart Yep. Um, so you know they're, they're, they're not without motivation, and uh, I just hope they're they're in it after the first leg because I, I think yeah. it would be a hell of a second leg. Um, yeah. Barcelona, well, I think, as you say, you know the the only danger with Barcelona sometimes is that 
they, they sometimes fall foul of the, of the Arsenal sort of curse and yeah. of not really putting teams away yeah. when they have the chance to, which is fine if you're winning a game 1-0 and it's just for three points or 2-0 and you've dominated that team. But when you then have to go away and play a second leg yeah. and you haven't killed them off... And they're not great away from back home. To haunt you. So, so you'd probably say, you know, Barcelona need a couple of goals at home, a couple of goals different to, to really sort of uh, put it out of sight. But, um, but Shakhtar will fancy, any, I reckon, a goal deficit. Yep. I'd fancy a crack at that. Uh, Chelsea, Man United. Mm. Battle of Britain. Yeah, I think it's always likely to happen, isn't it? And it, I think it's good to water down the the sort of English influence. I wouldn't want to see three English teams in the uh, in the sort of semi, semi-finals. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think it's very likely that Chelsea are pretty realistic about missing out on the title. Um, and that might work in the fa- favour in, in a sort of strange way because I think Manu are a little bit too safe up there. Is this yeah, is this the moment that um, Torres, Torres. <laughs> is this the stage for Torres? I mean, he's tormented Man United as a Liverpool player. Yeah. Yeah, he, he is someone who's got a good track record against decent sides. So there's no reason why he couldn't except for the fact he hasn't played well in months. Other than that. Well, he never had a better opportunity. Man United, you know, I've got massive injury problems at the back, especially Ferdinand and Vidic. So he'll have an opportunity. I just, I personally think Chelsea are going to be too strong for United over two legs. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing Man U resting as many players as possible. And the, only, the only thing from Chelsea is that, you know, their, their sort of star sign or the, the player that's really sort of caught the imagination, uh, David Luiz, is, is cup tied. So he's, he's ineligible. Right. Because uh, he played for Benfica. So, so yeah, so uh, a lot to look forward to. Premier League, Champions League, La Liga, Serie A. Uh, La Liga will still be going ahead this week. It was rumoured that there would be a, the owners would pull over a dispute over the TV, but that's uh, that's been ruled uh, ineligible in a court of law. So La Liga will be going on this weekend. So there might not be any A League, but there's uh, plenty of football to watch. Trev, thanks for joining us. Who knows? Maybe. This time next week, you'll be a dad. Maybe. Depends if I feel like coming in for the show or making up an excuse. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to producer Simon for twiddling our knobs. One and final thing. Oh. One. <laughs> extra time. Nearly <laughs> forgot. New issue next week. Yes. Wednesday on sale. Yes. What we got? Um, EPL Legends we're leading with. I can't believe I put it in. Massive writing. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't mention it. So yeah, we're, we're leading with EPL Legends. So we've got interviews with Faduka, Giggs, Burkamp, Shearer and Klinsman. We also run down our top 10 EPL Aussies interviewing the winner. End of season awards with um, interviews. A couple of Brisbane winners in there. No. Um, yeah, I know. Um, Ronaldo, the real Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo, who's obviously retired. We've, we've got a feature on him with former coaches and teammates chatting about what a player he was. And the final... Look back on the 31-0... The 31 nil, yeah. It's 10 year anniversary. It is. It's a couple of weeks short of the 10 year anniversary of our record breaking 31 nil. So we um, retell the tale with interviews with, you know, Driller and Archie and um, all that. And yeah, so that's quite a, quite a funny piece. You end up feeling a little bit sorry for Americans. <laughs> Plus, there's the uh, Planet Football and performance, performance. section. So, uh, Ashley, it- Ashley Carl, I believe. In this month's Excellent. performance section. All right. Well, that's on sale on Wednesday, uh, which is the 6th, Wednesday the 6th, uh, and also on the iPad at the App Store. So uh, go out, get it. Lots of iPad extras keep, this month. So. Keep Trev's baby fed and clothed. <laughs> uh, all right. That's it. Finally, that's it. It's all over. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week on the 442 Insider podcast. 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production. Visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services.